Morning. Good morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with a worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Thanks for listening to this Bible lesson. At Barah Ministries, we worship a triune Godhead. There's one God who reveals himself to mankind as three separate and distinct, co-equal, co-infinite, co-eternal persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father is the author of the triune Godhead's plan for all creatures. And God the Father encourages great human fathers to imitate him. In Luke chapter 6, verses 35 and 36, he says this, Love your enemies unconditionally and do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. You will be the sons of the Most High God and Father, for he is kind and un, kind to ungrateful and evil men. Luke chapter 6, verse 36. Be merciful, just as God your Father is merciful. God the Father is merciful to unbelievers. He is graceful to believers in Christ. And God the Father is the perfect role model for the conduct expected from loving fathers. God the Son, the Lord volunteered to execute God the Father's plan. John chapter 1, verse 14 says this, And the Word, the Word is a reference to the Lord, God the Son. It's the Greek expression, ho logos. And the Word, God the Son, became flesh, entering a totally new mode of existence, true humanity, as Jesus, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah. He is 100% God and 100% man and one person forever. And he lived in a physical body among us. And we, this is John uh, who wrote this uh, letter, talking about himself and the apostles. And we saw his glory with our own eyes. The glory of the uniquely born one from the source of God the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Isaiah chapter 53 verse five, verses 5 and 6 tell us what happened when the Lord came to earth as a man. It says Jesus was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him and by his scourging on a cross we are healed. Isaiah 53 6 all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all 
to fall on him. I had a guy ask me this week, have you repented of your sins? And I said, no. He said, well, that's going to be bad for you because you're going to go to hell. I said, no, I, I, I want to tell you this, and I just really want you to get this. I don't spend five minutes of my time thinking about paid for sins because my God paid for all my sins, past, present, and future, at the cross. So I don't spend five minutes of my time thinking for a debt that's already been thinking about a debt that's already been settled. Well, you need to repent of your sins. No, actually, repent means to change your mind about having a relationship with someone. And I repented in that regard because when I was an unbeliever, I didn't have a relationship with Christ, and I repented. I changed my mind and decided to have a relationship with Christ because I knew how depraved I am and that I needed one, and I'm completely dependent on him. Amen? Amen. 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 All right, and you, you said that with a little bit too much enthusiasm. You know, I can't get you to say amen with some enthusiasm about the important things, but if I'm bagging on myself, you want to help a brother out. In spite of our fallen state and even because of it, the Lord came as Jesus the Christ to reconcile us to a relationship with God the Father and the rest of the members of the Godhead. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says this, There's salvation in no one else, and there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved except the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. People, right? People always say, Oh, thank you, Denny. <laughs> Make a liar out of me. Uh, you know, people always say, God works in mysterious ways. No, he doesn't. He works in entirely predictable and very simple ways. There's no other name that's been given among men by which we must be saved. So how clear is that? Amen? Because our God is not a God of confusion. And when we place our confidence in Jesus for our salvation... We are saved. God the Holy Spirit is our mentor and teacher. He is the rudder of the Christian's life. So Jesus Christ gets us to salvation and then hands us off to God the Holy Spirit who takes us through sanctification and then he hands us off through physical death to God the Father and we reside in heaven, absent from the body, face to face with the Lord forever in a place of no more sorrow, no more tears, the old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. So God the Holy Spirit is the rudder of the Christian's life, and he helps us with every aspect of the Christian way of living, including prayer. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says this, God the Holy Spirit, who is the first fruits of our salvation, the first gift we got after salvation, because our baptism was God the Holy Spirit placing us into union with Christ. That's called the baptism of the Spirit. Water baptism and $3.20 will get you a cup of Starbucks coffee. That is not a salvation. The salvation comes when you believe in Christ and God the Holy Spirit places you into union with Christ, a union that you can never get out of. So God the Holy Spirit, the first fruits of our salvation, groans to help our weakness as believers in Christ. And he should groan, because when you're dealing with people, there's a lot of groaning. Amen? So, for example, we don't know how to pray as we should, but God the Holy Spirit himself personally intercedes for us 
when we're praying with groanings too deep for words. Christianity is not a religion. Satan loves dragging Christianity into religion. It is not a religion. It is a relationship primarily with our Savior, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but also with the other members of the Godhead, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. So people always say, well, I'm a Lutheran. Okay, well, I'm a Christian. Well, we are too. Then why are you calling yourself a Lutheran? Oh, I'm a Pentecostal. Well, I'm a Christian. Well, I am too. Well, why are you calling yourself a Pentecostal? I mean, what is, a Pentecostalism is a religion. Catholicism is a religion. Methodistism is a religion. Mormons, the Latter-day Saints, that's a religion. Lutheranism, that's a religion. And by the way, if Martin Luther came back and saw the religion, he'd roll over in his grave and kill himself because it resembles nothing like what he found out when he left the Catholic Church as a Catholic priest and led the Protestant Reformation. So uh, just understand that when you are a Christian, Christ is in there, holy smoke, that you're in a relationship with Christ. And as Christians, we are able to develop a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the entire God, Godhead through the study of the Word, the Bible. Don't ever let anyone trick you into diminishing the importance of the Bible by suggesting that it is just a book. It is not a book. It is a supernatural work that has been protected by the omnipotence of God for years in spite of all the satanic attempts at penetrating it and diluting it into nothingness. The Bible is supernatural instruction directly from the Lord. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 say this, Know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of any person's own private interpretation. Okay, that kills it. This wasn't, the Bible wasn't just a bunch of guys sitting around writing their opinions. That kills it. 2 Peter 1, 21, For no prophecy of Scripture was ever made by an act of human will, but men directed from the source, God the Holy Spirit, the one who leads us into all the truth, spoke directly from the exact thinking of the God, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the source of truth, and it is the only source of truth most of the time. Because we have the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 says this, we have the mind of Christ. What does that mean, that we know the exact thinking of Christ? Oh, well, Lord, I'm a Christian, and I want to marry an unbeliever. What do you think? Don't be bound with unbelievers, for what similarity has light with darkness? Oh, but I think I know better than you, uh, Lord, because I can convert them. I've never seen it happen. I've seen unbelievers drag believers away from the word and away from God and their relationship with God, but I've never seen it happen in the opposite way, and I've, be, I've witnessed a lot of stuff. So the Bible is the owner's manual for life. God does not work in mysterious ways. He gives us his exact thoughts to guide our approach to life. But God has an enemy, and this is the thing that people forget. God has an enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world for a finite period. He is the ruler of planet Earth. 
And that should not be a surprise to you because when you see all the stupid stuff that goes on in the earth and you, you can't figure out that that's not God sponsoring that, he's allowing it, but he's not sponsoring it, then you know something. He is the sponsor of evil and he loves to deceive the whole world and he is very effective at it because he is the most beautiful, most articulate, and brightest creature ever to come from the hand of God. He is not a guy with a red epidermis and a pitchfork. Amen? So he is the deceiver of the whole world, including you and me. And as believers in Christ, we have much to look forward to concerning Satan, according to Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 to 3, which say this, Then I, and that's the Apostle John speaking, the writer of the book of Revelation, saw an elect angel coming down from heaven, holding the key to the abyss. And the abyss is a compartment of Hades. There is um, Tartarus and the abyss. What am I missing, Denny? It, 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 it's all of Hades. Paradise on one side. On the other side, there's Tartarus. There, oh, torments. Torments, Tartarus, the abyss. And... So the abyss is the place where millions of fallen angels are locked up and they will be released onto the earth in the future to attack believers in Christ and to attack unbelievers as well. And we will be long gone by that time, so no worries. Don't, don't go to bed tonight having bad dreams about that. But... John says, I, the Apostle John, saw an elect angel coming down from heaven holding the key of the abyss, this compartment of Hades where all of the worst fallen angels live. And he had a great chain in his hand, Revelation 22. And the elect angel laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And that 1,000 years is the 1,000 years of the millennial reign of Christ. Jesus Christ will take over rulership of the world and will reign on the earth for 1,000 years at a future time. Revelation chapter 20, verse 3. And the elect angel threw Satan into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that Satan would not deceive the nations any longer until the 1,000-year millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ on the earth is completed. And after these things... Satan must be released from a short time, uh, for a short time. And what do you think he will do as soon as he w- is released? He will come back and do the same thing he did before. He's going to lead a revolution called the Gog and Magog Revolution. And the Lord's going to put that revolution down in one day and toss Satan and all of his buddies, the beast and the false prophet, into the lake of fire. And then all unbelievers will go in with them. Amen. Well, it's great to know. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. It's great. It's, it's, it's great to know that the Lord Jesus Christ still controls history, and nothing happens in the universe without His permission. So we can stop all of our lamenting. Oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Yeah, this is the same thing my mom was saying during World War II. He has complete control over the devil and his activities, and as believers in Christ, we are the object of his provision and his protection. Today's Bible study, Christianity is a lifestyle of freedom. Are you free? 
Christianity is a lifestyle of freedom. Are you free? Well, for the last few months, we've been studying Paul's letter to the churches at Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. And today we conclude our study and we'll reflect on the critical things the Lord is teaching us through Paul in this wonderful letter. Well, let's hear some music. A lot of things we experience in life can be quite confusing because Satan has emissaries, false teachers who introduce false teachings to confuse us. Despite Satan's deceptions to which we often fall prey, we place our faith in God's promise in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. He says this, We believers in Christ know that God the Father causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God the Father. And who loves God the Father? Believers in Christ. You hear this misquoted all the time. You hear people say, all things work together for good. No, they don't. God works all things together for good to those who are called according to God the Father's purpose. So here's June Murphy to remind us in song that God works all things together for good. Yeah. 
Thank you, June. Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for the guidance of God the Holy Spirit, who gives us the discernment to spot false teachers and false teaching. Thank you for the Apostle Paul and his ability to illuminate your thoughts. Thank you for the freedom of Christianity. We can make mistakes knowing that you have forgiven us in the past, and we stand forgiven forever, so we never have to have a guilt reaction because of our mistakes. Help us to reflect on what you've been teaching us as we close our study of Paul's letter to the Galatian community. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible study, Christianity is a lifestyle of freedom. Are you free? Well, Galatians chapter 6 is a whole, as we learned last week, divided into three parts. Omnes, Galia, Estevisa, and Tres Parte. Let's hear the third part of chapter 6, the final passage of study in Paul's letter to the Galatians. It starts at verse 11, and it says this. See with what large letters I, Paul, am writing to you with my own hand. Galatians 6, 12. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Galatians 6.13 For those who are circumcised do not even keep the Mosaic law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. Galatians 6.14 But may it never be that I would boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Galatians 6.15 For neither is circumcision anything, nor is uncircumcision anything, but a new creation is everything. Galatians 6.16 And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of their God. Galatians 6.17, from now on let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. Galatians 6.18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Brethren is a term that means believers in Christ. Amen. All right, so let's look at this passage verse by verse as Paul summarizes his letter to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 6 Verse 11, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. So Paul takes over the task of recording the letter and writing from his transcriber. And the transcribers of that day, what Paul would do is he would dictate to a person, and the person was known as Emanuasis, a person who takes dictation. So at this point in the letter, Paul takes over the writing himself. Now, when he talks about how big the letters are, Paul was pretty much blind. I mean, he, he really had trouble seeing. And earlier in the letter, he talked about the idea that, you know, you guys took me in when I could barely see and when I was sick. He founded the churches in Galatia when he was really ill. So what he wants to do by saying this is to reassure the Galatian congregation, that this is not a forgery because he had had some difficulty in the churches at Thessalonica 
with forgeries. The Judaizers were writing letters pretending they were Paul and then, of course, promoting their program of works. So, next, Paul gives some final parting shots to the false teachers and their false teaching, starting in Galatians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Well, circumcision was never a prerequisite for salvation. It is God's sense of humor because males who were Jewish would be circumcised on the eighth day after their birth when the blood coagulates. And for the rest of their lives, every time they would go to the restroom, they would remember that they were Abraham's seed by looking at their units. Amen? (laughs) I knew you wouldn't say amen to that. So, but it was not a prerequisite for salvation. But Judaism, the scribes and the Pharisees tried to turn it into a prerequisite for salvation, which it is not. And... The Lord made it clear how to be saved in John chapter 3, verse 3, when he talked to a religious Pharisee, Nicodemus. He said to be saved. Jesus said to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, the spiritual birth, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What does that mean? We're born physically alive and spiritually dead on the wrong side of a barrier, no relationship with God, and helpful and hope, helpless and hopeless to do anything about it. Why? Because if you sin, you can't have a relationship with perfection. And you got two problems. You sin personally, and Adam's sin was credited to you because you are a member of the human race and he is the father of the human race. His sin was credited to you from the moment of your physical birth. And so you are spiritually dead at, spirit, at physical birth. So what does it mean to be born again? It's the spiritual birth. There's the physical birth. That's one birth. The, the, the spiritual birth is you are born again. That's why they call Christians born again. Are you one of those born again Christians? You didn't have to say it twice. Right, Because Christians are born again. That's the whole thing about being a Christian. So circumcision was merely a sign, much like water baptism is a sign today. People describe water baptism as an outward sign of an inward commitment. And isn't it interesting that as human beings, we're always gravitating to outward things designed to impress others. When I went to Israel, I've been to Israel three times, but... There's a place in the Jordan River, and you see people dressed in these white schmocks, and they're getting baptized in the Jordan River. And oh my, that makes you so much more spiritual, because you got baptized the same place Jesus did. Yeah, but here's the big question. Did a dove fly down out of the sky and land on your head? That was God the Holy Spirit. And did the clouds open up and a voice come from the clouds saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased? No. All you got was an invoice for about $150, amen, to get dunked in some nasty water. The Jordan River is nasty. So 
But we're always interested in these outward signs. The Christian way of life is an inward life that reflects outward. It's not a life that's designed to impress people. So it's the inward decision that matters in your spiritual life. And people forget that. It's the inward decision to believe in Christ. The false teachers had a tough time accepting Christianity, though, because it supplanted Judaism. A friend of mine was talking about how she's studying Leviticus, and I'm saying, why are you studying the instruction set to the Jews? The Old Testament is the instruction set to Israel and to the Jews. And if you study that, and there's nothing wrong with looking at the Old Testament. Look, there's a lot of great stuff there. The Psalms, the Proverbs, there's a lot of great stuff. But we are church-age believers. We are the first set of believers in Christ after the cross. We are the Gentile believers. We are not Jews. And so we study the New Testament. And it's not that we don't look into the Old Testament, but anything that is relevant to us from the Old Testament is repeated in the New Testament anyway. So that's what we study. And if you are studying the Old Testament, you will get a completely different view about who God is than you do in the New Testament because the cross changed everything. Well, this made the Judaizers mad because in Judaism, all the rituals and all the signs pointed ahead to Jesus Christ as the Messiah and to his work on the cross on behalf of the human race. The cross changed everything. Jesus described Judaism as old wine in Luke chapter 5, verses 37 to 39, and he highlighted the problem people have with new things. Here's what he had to say, Luke 5, 37. No one who is smart puts new wine, and that's a reference to Christianity, into old wineskins, Judaism. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, and the wine will be spilled out, And the skins, too, will be ruined. Luke 5.38. New wine must be put into fresh wine. And see, that's what the Judaizers wanted to do. They wanted to mix Christianity and Judaism. And that's what everybody wants to do today. They want to mix Pentecostalism with Christianity. They want to mix uh, Lutheranism with Christianity. They want to mix Catholicism with Christianity. Well, that's like mixing oil and water. What's going to happen? The oil, which is religion, is going to come to the top so it can be skimmed off. And the water, the purity of the water is Christianity. It's a relationship with Christ. And there's no mixture. And most people, who are even who are believers in Christ, try to turn Christianity into legalism so that they can feel superior to other people. Well, I can't believe you swear. I can't believe you swear. Why can't you believe that I swear? You swear. You swear in your head and you swear with your mouth. Why can't you believe that I do it? Because, you know, if you don't swear, you're much more spiritual as a person. If you don't drink, you are much more spiritual as a person. If you dress nice when you come to church, you are much more spiritual as a person, right? I mean, if you do those three things, You don't go outside the church right after and start criticizing the guy who's cutting you off on the freeway, right? Because you're so good. And that's, that's the phoniness of legalism, trying to mix oil into the water of Christianity. 
doesn't fit. I much prefer the lascivious people in the world who, as soon as you go into a room with them, yeah, man, I used to do drugs all the time. I was a drug dealer. I'm a scumbag. You know, I was in prison. I love those people because they're not phony. But the legalists are phony. They're self-righteous. They think they can have righteousness because of stuff they do. They think they can even save themselves because of stuff they do. I was having a conversation with a buddy of mine the other day who's a Mormon. He's in the Church of Latter-day, Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints. They don't believe Jesus Christ is God. They say it with their mouth, but they don't believe it. They believe God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and, and God the Son are three separate people, and they are not equal. They have different power, and they think of the Holy Spirit as an energy force. He is not an energy force. He is a person. His function is not to get people to speak in tongues. Tongues went out in 70 AD. And tongues, here's how you know that somebody's speaking in tongues. You speak English. The person who's speaking in tongues is speaking Spanish, and you understand them in English. That's tongues. The apostles were talking in their language, and the people who had come from all over the world heard it in their language. That's tongues. This is not tongues. Pat, 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 pat. That's somebody who had lemon for breakfast and is trying to get it out of their mouth. Ah, Pat, 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 pat. Yeah, that's exactly. It's like Tourette's syndrome. So Luke 5.39, no one, after drinking old wine, like Judaism, wishes for new wine, Christianity. For he says the old wine, Judaism, is good enough. That's exactly what the Judaizers were saying to these Galatian believers. Okay, believe in Christ, that's cool. But you have to keep the rituals of Judaism. You have to do the religious practices. You have to keep the Sabbath. You have to light the menorah. You have to, you have to, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, but you gotta people. What are they all about? They're all about stealing your freedom. That's what religion is all about, stealing your freedom. I committed a sin. I, I was a Roman Catholic for 21 years. I committed a sin, Father, what I do. Go to confession. Okay, what's that? You go into a little black booth and tell all your sins to a person. And he says in Latin, absolvete, I absolve you from your sins. No, my sins were paid for by blood at the cross. You absolve me. You're just a guy. And you're probably molesting than a kid. Anyway, so what are you going to absolve me from? So that's the problem with us. We get deceived by these false teachers and their false teaching. The Jesus Christ of Roman Catholicism is a counterfeit Jesus who did not finish the work of salvation at the cross. And 1.3 billion of the 7 billion people in the world are deceived by that crap. And they're going to be some of the most surprised people in, in the world in the lake of fire who thought they were worshiping the real Jesus Christ for their whole life and they were deceived. Well, what is the Lord saying by Luke chapter 5, verses 37 to 39, he's saying that people don't like change. And the Judaizers were no exception. In fact, they resented Christianity. They had a deep desire to continue their Jewish traditions. And they resented Christianity because of its simplicity. 
they would say, all you have to do is believe in Christ Jesus to be saved. No way, that's too easy. Yeah, it is. It's easy for us because it was not easy for Jesus because he had to live 33 years on the earth, a sinless life under the most temptation that you could even imagine. No human being could ever imagine the temptation he was under. I cannot wait to get to heaven and see Mary Magdalene because I know she was fine. She had seven demons possessing her, and he got those demons out of her. And she was hanging around him all the time, and I know she was fine. And yet, without sin. Without sin. Amen? What a God we have. So, the Judaizers preferred to ignore the impact of the cross and brought swift destruction upon themselves. Well, Paul continues outing the Judaizers in Galatians chapter 6, verse 13. He says this, For those who are circumcised don't even keep the Mosaic law themselves. And I have a lot of Jewish friends, and a lot of them are keeping the Sabbath, you know, Friday at sundown to Saturday at sundown, and they allegedly don't work, but the, the restrictions of that lifestyle are oppressive, and especially, especially today. There are 613 laws that you have to follow. They can't even remember 10 of them. And it's just horrible because they're some of the nicest, most wonderful people in my life. Yet, do what it is that the Mosaic Law proposes. Got me now? Got me now? Awesome. My heart must have turned it off. 
All right, good. Yeah, that's right. All right, back to Galatians chapter 6, verse 13. Sorry, we had some mic trouble. For those Oh. So, when Turned it off. All right, cool. So we've been having some mic trouble, and I think we got it resolved because we switched out the mics. So let's continue. Galatians chapter 6, verse 13. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the Mosaic law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they can boast in your flesh. What does that mean? It means the Judaizers wanted to collect Christians as if they were trophies, seducing them to follow a false gospel. Then they could boast about the number of converts they rack up, much like megachurches boast today. We've got a lot of people coming to the megachurch and we aren't teaching them a thing, except how to come to a church and have a concert, or how to bring their kids to a, a Bible study with untrained people who are teaching their kids nothing. You know, just because your kids are going to a Christian school doesn't mean they're getting the Bible. They may just be getting the, the dogma of the Christian school, and you have to check. Galatians 6.14. May it never be that I, Paul, would boast, except to boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What does that mean? It means once you become a Christian, you're dead to the world. You have been crucified. To the world. Galatians chapter 2, verses 20 and 21 remind us I, as a believer in Jesus, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, have been crucified with Christ. And that I is a reference to the I life, which is what life we live as unbelievers. And it is no longer the I life that lives. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives indwelling me. Christ now becomes the pilot of your life. I love those uh, bumper stickers, Christ is my co-pilot. You should be so lucky if Christ was your co-pilot. No, Christ is the pilot, and you're the passenger in the tail of the plane. Galatians 2.20 continuing, And the life which I now live in my physical body, I live by faith alone in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who loves me unconditionally, and who gave himself up as a sin substitute, for me. Galatians 2.21. I, Paul, and truly this is a reference to all believers in Christ, do not nullify the grace of God by thinking that we can be saved by our works. For if absolute righteousness 
which is the admission ticket to heaven, comes to us through keeping the Mosaic law, then Christ died needlessly at the cross. <coughs> well, Christ did not die needlessly at the cross. He died for a purpose at the cross. And that purpose was the salvation of the whole world. All of us are spiritually dead at the moment of physical birth. And those who have chosen to remain spiritually dead by rejecting a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ think that God will be sentimental and will grant them access to heaven because we all know that St. Peter is at the pearly gates. No, he isn't. He's not, the Lord's not going to put a betrayer at the gates of heaven. So people think that they're going to get into heaven because of their self-righteous deeds, like going to church or tithing, thank you, or helping little old ladies across the street or giving back. That's what you hear all the athletes saying. I, I, I got to give back. There's nothing wrong with giving back, but it, it doesn't make you special. Keeping traditions, engaging in rituals, following religious practices. What really matters is being born again. Outward symbols mean nothing, as Paul points out in Galatians chapter 6, verse 15. He says, neither is physical circumcision anything, nor is uncircumcision anything, but a new creation is everything. And we know what Paul is referencing there. When we are, if anyone's in union with Christ, and all believers in Christ are, there is a new creation. At the moment of your salvation, the old self is not refined and polished up and painted over by God. It's completely destroyed. It's crucified at the cross. And there is a completely new creation. And that new creation, that you with a soul and a spirit, will go to heaven in perfection because the absolute righteousness of God was credited to you at the moment of salvation. And this body of yours, the flesh, which has a sinful nature that was not removed at the moment of salvation, when it dies, will take that flesh with it. Amen? And we can't wait for that amazing day when we are no longer bound or influenced in any way by the flesh. There are so many things that Satan uses to distract us from the essence of what it means to be a Christian. Faith in Christ alone for everything, little else matters. Galatians chapter 6, verse 16. And those who will walk by this rule, what rule? The law of Christ, not the Mosaic law. Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. What is peace? Peace means God has nothing against you. Mercy means if you're an unbeliever, God is waiting with open arms for you to believe in Christ. And upon the Israel of God. Israel is the chosen nation of God. And the Gentiles are a nation as well. And that's what Gentile means. It means nation. And so what God has done is brought the two nations into one. The Israel of God and the Gentiles are one nation. 
Galatians 6, 6, 6, 17. So from now on, let no one cause trouble for me. And he's talking about the Judaizers. Don't listen to those guys. For I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. Now what is he saying here? He's saying that these guys who are trying to get you to observe a false gospel, what persecution have they been under? Because the followers of Satan aren't under persecution in his kingdom. And so if you're a Christian and you're being persecuted, that's par for the course. So what brand marks of Jesus has Paul endured? Here's a partial list. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 to 27. Five times I received from my own people, the Jews, 39 lashes. And the lashes were uh, a whip with nails at the end of it. Amen? That hurts. Without the nails, it would hurt. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-five. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. He highlights that in 2 Corinthians 12 where uh, he was stoned and he went to the third heaven. He was stoned to death and God brought him back. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep, the ocean, hypothermia city. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-six. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangerous, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren, the wolves in sheep's clothing. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. I, Paul, have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Now, that now you know that your pastor could never be confused with the Apostle Paul because the cold and exposure part, that would have been a problem, amen? Because I need an electric blanket from November until May, even in Phoenix. So as I reflected on my 25 years of teaching the Word of God, I thought about my own brand marks of Jesus. They are not physical. They have been mental and emotional, heartbreaking things. A parade of faces crossed my mind. The false friends, the users who inflicted hurt, and mostly Christians in the parade of faces, those who claim to be believers in Christ. I, don't, I have a lot of unbeliever friends, and I don't get experience any pain from them. Yet, uh, yet conditional love, which is what many Christians have, is not the fruit of the Spirit. Well, it's a pleasure for me to teach the Word of God to pick up my cross and to follow my Lord, to bear the scars of living for him because there is a core of people whom I love and who love me. And there are fruits of this ministry. These people are the fruits of this ministry and the fruits of my life. They too have the brand marks of Jesus in their own life. Clearly visible hurts. Too many hurts to count. And I am grateful for these faithful friends who endure the same hardships of suffering that are endured by believers in Christ all over the world. I'm proud of my imperfections because it screams of my dependence on Christ. Paul concludes his letter with this blessing. Galatians chapter 6, verse 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, believers in Christ. Amen. When we return from the break, 
We'll have a special offering announcement, and then we'll summarize what Paul's letter to the Galatians has taught us. Take a five-minute break. <coughs> Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong. At the end of the line, will all the other not quite? Will all the never get it right? But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody. All about somebody who saved my soul. Check one, check one, 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 two.
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, Christianity is a lifestyle of freedom. Are you free? Well, an anonymous donor has offered Barah Ministries a matching grant of up to $10,000 between now and the end of the year. Whatever we raise between now and the end of the year, up to $10,000 will be matched dollar for dollar by the donor. So if we raise $10,000, the donor will match our raise of $10,000 with a $10,000 contribution. So this is a great opportunity to get 2024 off to a great financial start because $20,000 would be one-third of our budget for next year. So if 10 people contribute $1,000 each, we provide the possibility for the donor to match our fundraising effort. Because Barah Ministries is a not-for-profit corporation under the government's 501c3 provision, your contributions to Barah Ministries are deductible under Section 170 of the IRS Code. So please join us in contributing what you can so that we can take advantage of this donor's generosity. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. I have it up. Check, check. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon at Barah Ministries because we know that we're yoked with the Lord. And we know that we're equally yoked, and He's the one doing all the work. <clears throat> well, I was thinking about that. I said, My yoke. Or what is it? My yoke is easy, my burden is light. It doesn't feel like that, though, some days. Really, most days. So I was wondering, why is it like that? Why is it that I'm yoked with God, but it's still tough? I still have a burden. And I was thinking about it. It's because I'm chained to money. Money is my, my burden every day. I think about it. I have to get to work. I have to do that to pay my bills. So I'm yoked to God, but I'm pulling the other way. I'm chained to my money. And it really dictates a lot of what I do. And I, it's, I think it's true of everybody. And then you think about, you know, we're also shackled to expectations in life. You know, we expect things of others, and when they don't come through, we're mad at them. Or when we don't, we don't live up to our own expectations, we're mad at ourselves. Or we think, oh, I can never do it. I'm worthless. And then we even do that with God. We expect prayers to come true in our timeline, and they don't come true. And we're mad at God for some reason, like it's his fault. And so we're chained to money. We're shackled to expectations. And really, what's that? It's an anchor to the bottom of life. It's an anchor to Satan. He just wants us to stay there. He wants us to be held on to that. He wants us to be chained and all that. And we need to be unshackled from those things. And we really are. Like, as Christians, we're free. We can see in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, a descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. It's not imprisoned, but we imprison ourselves. Being chained to money, shackled to expectations, anchoring ourselves to the bottom of life, which Satan wants us to be. So I'm here to help you with that, unshackle you from your money, and unchain you from your finances. Because what a better way to give to a church that gets the gospel out to a lost and dying world, that helps other people. And so that's what we're here for. We're here to help, and we're here to support Pastor Rory and ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ. So thank you for giving at the offering, and let's 
let's double what that donor's asking for. Let's do even better. Amen. So unshackle yourselves today and just have fun by giving. Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, Christianity is a lifestyle of freedom. Are you free? Great offering message, Deacon Denny, because we do imprison ourselves to a lot of things. And so the second part of the lesson, we're going to ask ourselves, what do we learn by studying Paul's letter to the Galatian believers? And the first thing we learned is don't turn Christianity into a prison. Don't turn Christianity into a prison. The main message of Galatians is Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us believers in Christ free. Therefore, keep on standing firm in the freedom and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. When we were unbelievers, we were slaves. We were imprisoned. Once we become believers in Christ, we're freed. We're not going backwards. That is not what God wants for us. So what we need to do is reject legalism harshly, reject false teachers and their false teaching whenever we encounter it. Lesson two, don't listen to liars. Galatians chapter three, verse one says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And we're not talking about the television show with Darren Stevens and and what was her name, Samantha, or, yeah, I don't even remember, it was Elizabeth Montgomery, I think, but, yeah, we, we're not trying to be bewitched, so what we need to be good at, and this year we studied Colossians and Galatians, which are both saying the same thing, identify the false teachers, identify their false teaching, and get away from it. Identify the false teachers in your life and avoid the snares of their false teaching. We're in that period of time where everybody's starting to think about their weight. And so, yeah, because we're eating like pigs between uh, Thanksgiving and December. And then what happens? You know, there are all these weight loss commercials on television. And a lot of those programs are false teachers with false teaching. And you're going to be unseated from your money and get no results. So this is the kind of real-life application of the lessons that we need to pay attention to. When you listen to the news, they're passing off 1% of life as if it is all of life. 
so that you think every day when you're walking around that you're going to get carjacked in a bed, bath, and beyond parking lot. No, that's not our experience. That, that is a freak occurrence that happens once in a while. So we are not listening to liars. We're instead going to listen to God. Lesson three, listen to God, not to men. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 said, I, Paul, would have you know, brethren, and he's talking about uh, the Galatian believers in Christ, that the gospel which was preached by me is not a gospel that originates from a man. A human being is not the source of the gospel message. For I neither received this gospel message from man, this is Galatians 1.12, nor was I taught this gospel message by a man. But I received the gospel message through a revelation directly from Jesus Christ. After Paul got knocked off his high horse, the Lord took him out into Arabia for three to four years and taught him, <coughs> excuse me, taught him what he was going to need to teach as he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And there are many men in this world who teach as doctrines the precepts of men. Don't believe them. Don't listen to liars. Listen to God. Lesson four, don't fall for a false gospel. Galatians chapter 1 verse 9 says this, If any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received from me, he is to be accursed which means he should be eternally condemned to the lake of fire. Well, what does that mean exactly? It means that buying a false gospel can make you doubt your God, doubt your salvation, and it can fill your life with mental misery. Now look, if you're an unbeliever and you buy a false gospel, like Roman Catholicism or like Mormonism, you're not saved. You got to check that out. Oh, well, Pastor, why are you always bagging on the Catholics? And why are you always bagging on the Mormons? You're glad that I'm bagging on anybody or anything that is selling you a false gospel. You're going to hear the gospel in a few minutes. You're going to hear an accurate and true gospel. And the gospel is really simple. It's John 3.36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life right at that moment. And that eternal life stands finished forever. And he who does not obey the command to believe in the Lord shall not see eternal life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. You don't want me to tell you that? You want me to spare your feelings and say, well, there is no hell. And everybody's going to go to heaven. And everything is cool. You weren't born physically alive and spiritually dead. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to lie to you. I spent a lot of time in the pulpit lying to people. As I was taken by the Holy Spirit through religion, uh, the religion of sin and the religion of the law, to get to grace. And every time I found out that I was lying, I admitted it. And it killed congregations. Right? People said, oh, well, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Instead of saying, wow, I can't believe he had the courage to stand up there and tell me that he was wrong. That's the key. And there are a lot of people out there who are teaching a false gospel who would never, under any circumstance, admit that they were wrong about anything. So as an unbeliever, buying a false gospel can cost you your salvation. As a believer in Christ, it costs you your serenity.
because you're saved and you're acting like you aren't. You're saved, but you're doubting God as if his promises in the Bible aren't good enough. Lesson five of the letter to the Galatians, the cross changed everything. There's John 3.36, he who believes in the Son has the resurrection life, eternal life, right at that moment. And once saved, always saved. I give eternal life to believers in Christ and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hands. John 10.28, he who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment, but he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire abides on him. There is nothing worse than you saying to Jesus Christ, I don't want you to pay for my sins. I'll pay for my own sins. Okay, well, you can't because the blood of Christ is the only thing that pays for your sins. But when you do that, you put yourself as a target of the wrath of God the Father. And believe me, you don't ever want to be the target of the wrath of God the Father. So it is faith in Christ alone that is the ticket to eternal life. Lesson six, you can't, your works cannot save you. Titus chapter three, verse five says this, the Lord Jesus Christ saved us believers in Christ, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in self-righteousness, but according to God the Father's mercy, the mercy of not giving us the wrath of God that sin deserves, by the washing of regeneration and through renewing by God the Holy Spirit. What is regeneration? We are born again. What is the renewing by God the Holy Spirit? He places us into union with Christ, a union we can never get out of at the moment of salvation. So, Lesson seven, royalty does not require rituals and religious practices. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ through faith alone in Christ for your salvation, if you have put your confidence in him, your faith in the object of your faith, which is faith in Christ for your salvation, not faith in yourself. First Peter chapter two, verse nine says this, you believers in Christ are a chosen race, a royal race priesthood. You are royalty. You are children of God. You are a holy nation. You are people for God's own possession, which means you are owned by God so that you can proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I was talking to a guy last night at a party and I was telling him that I met, he, he told me he was Lutheran. And I said, oh, gee. He said, what? I said, I, <laughs> what? Nice to meet you, Mr. Lutheran. I, he said, I said, I met a Lutheran in Aruba. And she said that there's no hell. He said, she's in the dark. That's not what we believe. Okay, well, what you believe, first of all, doesn't matter. All that matters is what's true. And if your beliefs are in line with the truth, that's great. You can believe that I'm a woman, but I'm not. And so if your belief isn't in line with the truth, then you missed it. But the thing is that this lady is in the darkness, but thinks she's in the light. There is a hell. 
The Bible delineates it. Oh, well, the Bible is just a bunch of stories written by a bunch of guys, and it's not to be taken literally. Okay. Good luck with that when you're standing before the king of the universe and you're trying to sell that program to him because you're not going to sell any program to an omniscient God. Sorry. That's the place, the one time in your life where you have to come correct because you're going to be standing in front of somebody who knows you better than you know you. <clears throat> so, act like royalty because you are children of the Almighty God. So there are many more lessons in this letter. But these are the key lessons. Spend some time reviewing what you learned and see how it applies to your life. So thanks for studying Galatians with me. Thanks for studying Colossians with me early in the year. And where we're going next after the first of the year is to back to the book of Romans. Because the most important book in biblical Christianity for Christians is the book of Romans. And we're going to study it in a year and a half instead of in seven years, which it took me to get through last time. I had a, a person uh, send me a note, and she said, when you die, please leave me all the lessons to Romans. It's like, wow, okay. So, and she said, start at chapter 8. I've finished the other ones. It's like, okay, happy to do that. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure she gets chapters 8 through 16 in the next year and a half. Well, the closing moments of our lesson today could be the 10 most important minutes of your life because what you're about to learn is exactly what it takes to get to heaven. <coughs> what it takes to get to heaven is to clear your throat. We want you to know that God wants you. And what God wants for you is he wants you to make the most important decision of your life. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ gave you a powerful weapon and a perfect gift from the moment of your physical birth. It's called choice. You get to choose the life you want to live. The life you're living right now is the sum total of all your decisions that you've made so far in life. The Lord Jesus Christ, the sovereign God of the universe and the Savior of all mankind, says there are only two choices for your eternal future. Either heaven, which is the small gate and the narrow way, or the lake of fire, the wide gate and the broad way, described in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. The Lord says, enter through the narrow gate. He is the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through the wide gate. Matthew 7, 14, the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to the resurrection life, eternal life, the Zoe life, and there are few who find the small gate. Which road will you choose for your eternal life? Those who are on the broad way that leads to destruction may think there is salvation in numbers, yet that is not true. As a matter of fact, the majority is almost always wrong. Believing what everyone else believes does not save you. Placing your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ is what saves you. The Lord Jesus Christ is 100% God. That's why we call him the Lord. 
and he is 100% man, and that's why we call him Jesus, the Christ. He is true humanity, just like you and me. And the Christ means the Messiah. He is the Jewish Messiah. Jesus says he is the small gate, which makes him your guide to heaven. John chapter 14, verse 6 says this. Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way, and what he meant is I am the way to salvation. I am the truth, which means through the gospel message and the word of God. And I am the resurrection life. He is eternal life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven, but through believing in me. God the Father's plan for your life is simple. Believe in his Son, and it is your ticket to eternal life. Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says this, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved by God. You and everyone in your household who believes, you will be saved by God. You will not be saved by you. You will not be saved by your works. Amen? Those on the broad way that leads to destruction place their confidence in liars. They place their confidence in themselves. The Lord Jesus Christ warns about them in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. He says, beware of the false prophets. Those are false teachers. Who come to you in sheep's clothing, appearing harmless. There are a lot of churches who say they have prophets. The gift of prophecy went out in 90 AD. There is no more gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy today is called the gift of pastor-teacher, and I am not a prophet. All I do is report to you what the Lord is saying in the written word. So beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, who inwardly are ravenous wolves out to destroy your eternal future. As ravenous wolves, false teachers want to rip to shreds your chance for a great eternity by deceiving you with a false gospel message. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 12 illuminates the issue. It says, there is a way that seems right to a man, <clears throat> and that way is saving yourself by thinking good deeds will earn your salvation, or will earn the approval of God somehow. Look, God loves you unconditionally. He doesn't need anything from you. But its end is the way of death. And the way of death that's being referred to there is the second death in the lake of fire. The first death is, is uh, spiritual death. The second death is death in the lake of fire. If you die spiritually dead, you are going to the lake of fire. And it is not because God wants you there. It's because you chose to go there. Because it is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, which is a change of mind about having a relationship with Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ offers you the true gospel message, an invitation, and a warning about how to be saved. And it can be all encapsulated in one verse. John chapter 3 Verse 36, he who believes in the Son has the resurrection life, eternal life, right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. So right where you sit right now, you can tell God the Father that you're believing in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, 
And that's the moment of eternal life for you. It was just like one of the thieves on the cross did. Nine words led him to salvation after living an absolutely miserable criminal life. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Nine words. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the Lord said, truly, truly, I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. Well, who is this God that saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. He says, I, Paul, delivered to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Old Testament scriptures. That's what makes Jesus Christ different from all the pretenders. He died and he rose again. Joseph Smith didn't rise again from the dead. No pope we know of has risen from the dead. Mohammed didn't rise from the dead. Nobody that uh, is human has ever risen from the dead except the 100% God, 100% man, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's enemy, Satan, is the sponsor of false teachers, false teaching, and a false gospel message. You have to be able to discern the difference between God's truth and Satan's lies. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32 say this. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, the, the word of God from a true teacher, then you are truly disciples of mine. And that if is a third class condition, if. Maybe you will, maybe you won't, you have a choice. John eight thirty-two. you will know the truth, the true gospel message. And the truth will make you free. Another warning for those who choose the broad way is Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven by obeying the gospel message will enter heaven. Matthew seven twenty-two. Many will say to me on that day of judgment, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And in your name, didn't we cast out demons? And in your name, didn't we perform many miracles? Matthew chapter 7, verse 23. And then I, the Lord Jesus Christ, will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me into the lake of fire, you who have practiced a lifestyle of lawlessness. So don't wait until it's too late to consider what road you're on. Mark chapter 1 verse 15 says this, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So repent. Change your mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in His gospel message. The will of God the Father is that you believe in His Son so you can have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And those who choose the narrow way have decided that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone is the only ticket to heaven. So get yourself on the narrow way that leads to eternal life in heaven right this minute. All right, well, let's close with music. It's easy to be grateful when we're blessed in a way that we desire. It's a challenge to accept the things we consider hard to come into our lives as a blessing because it's easy to forget to have faith in the Lord for all things. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 is a reminder, in everything give thanks, 
For this is God the Father's will for you who are in union with Christ Jesus. Here's Don Moen encouraging us in song to give thanks for all things. Almighty God and Father, thank you for the Bible, our source of truth. Help us continue to study it, 
to put it into practice and to reflect your unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace to everyone we meet. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Discussing the lesson and prayer circle immediately following this. You can join us live or on Zoom right after the lesson. Get your questions ready. Looking forward to that. Got biblical questions? Ask the pastor. Pastor at BarahMinistries.com. Keep on studying in the Word of God. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening.